0: Welcome to Spooky Cookies, a horror movie podcast where we sit down with a plate of cookies and nerd out about horror movies. I'm Chris, a depressed gamer foodie. And I'm Kirby, a fat librarian bitch. (laughs) Together we're a married couple based in
1: Philly with a shared love of cookies, horror, and each other. Whom we call Cookie. Join us as we discuss one movie each week. Our first season centers around feminist horror, which we're very excited about.
0: So sit back, relax, and enjoy some Spooky Cookies.
1: Hey listeners, Kirby here, uh, standing next to an air conditioner. So the audio quality is going to be crap. Uh, this is well after the fact of when we recorded the podcast, but I wanted to come on here and, uh, pre-explain a few things because in re-listening to the podcast, I realized that, um, we definitely, I don't think did a very good job of, um, sort of allowing for non-cis experiences, uh, with the idea of viewing the movie Alien, um, And I think that we we viewed that through a cis lens, um, mostly in speaking about the movie just because of the time period it was made in, which is the late 1970s. And we sort of made assumptions on the part of the screenwriter and the director um, because they are cisgender. So we assumed that the fears that they uh, interjected into this movie would be the fears of cis people, such as something like the idea of a man giving birth to a man is terrifying because he then can be subjected to the same horrors that a cis woman can be subjected to. So I wanted to come on here and clarify that um, the gender binary is bullshit. And I am aware that a, uh, a trans man can give birth um, so there is such a thing as a man giving birth, but again, w- when we refer to gender during this particular podcast, we are mostly referring to, um, cisgender people and the fears of cisgender people. Um, and so, uh, I just wanted to clarify that, that, uh, uh trans men are men and trans women are women and non-binary people exist and are valid, obviously, And, um, I just didn't want that to be, I I didn't want that to go unsaid, um, because the concept of gender for the movie Alien is a little, uh, complicated to discuss, because again, you have to take into account, like, that the time period it was in, they were probably not, they were not considering the feelings and experiences of non-cis people. Um, and... So anyway, I just wanted to come on here and clarify that, that we may have not done the best job of explaining that. And to just say that, um, just that, that like I, uh, when we refer to gender during this podcast, we are referring to cis experiences. Um, so hopefully that, uh, clears that up and, uh, uh, yeah. So back to your regularly scheduled programming. Welcome to episode two of Spooky Cookies. Uh, to, uh, today's episode is, as we said last time, Alien, the original Alien right. from 1979, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, of course, uh, screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, and of course starring the amazing Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. Um, honestly, I think everybody in on the cast was like a major player. Like there was John Hurt, Veronica Cartwright. Um, Pretty amazing cast. Pretty amazing movie, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Set the precedent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, what cookies are we sitting down tonight to eat?
0: Tonight we are sitting down with some uh, mint Oreo cookies. So mm-hmm. um, we've got, you know, the mint filling, kind of like the the acid blood of the alien. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the outer cookie, it's, you know, it protects that blood. A bit like uh, an exoskeleton.
1: Of Something a particular alien, maybe yeah. Maybe
0: of a xenomorph or some such, um, you know, nice and nice and crunchy, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but then filled with that that acid blood. But of course. Um, we've of course got uh, milk to drink with this. For android um, blood. For android blood. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, um, interesting, interesting choice of blood there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, also, when he was at the store, and he said, "You know what kind of cookies you want me to get?" Or we we're going to get these, and he said they have the thin ones, the thin Oreos. And I was like, you should have gotten the thin Oreos because I feel like they would be crispy like the Alien. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why would the Alien be crispy? And I was like, because exoskeletons are always crispy.
0: Always crispy. So. It was a fact I was not aware of. But I'm aware now. <laughs> alien. Chris. What'd you think? I thought it was enjoyable. Um, I don't know that I would really say that it was a horror movie. Um... From my perspective, that was the, that cat, was the cat, cat jumping. Um, from my perspective, it was more—it uh, was kind of a frustrating experience to to kind of feel with the main character, like the the sort of insubordination of everybody else, and and sort of their self-centeredness kind of made it horror. But in a way, that actually made it a more realistic horror. It wasn't just simply dumb decisions. It was very human decisions very right. sexist decisions yeah. that 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 caused a lot of the the problems in this movie so in in that sense it was actually kind of a very real horror movie that's um, true but i don't know that it, would, it was as uh, scary as the what you would typically look for in a in a horror movie um but i enjoyed it because there were there were so many things i saw in this movie that um it did set a precedent for that other movies followed with um uh, things that occurred in Independence Day that I was like, oh, you know, I think that actually happened right. in Alien first. Yeah. Um, so just some, just some little things like that um, made, made it a pretty enjoyable experience for me. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about um, how you'll watch something where, th- this is where the cliche comes from, and so you can't really watch it and consider it cliched because that is what set, that was what set the original cliche and so um, I'm gonna admit something here that I've already told you but um, which you know dings my card as a horror aficionado and that is that I had never seen alien before this was my first time watching it and the reason for that is just that it was one of those movies where you I had seen so many scenes so many iconic scenes from it and I knew the plot and I, I knew like you know what happens and stuff. That it felt like I had already seen the movie. Like, I mean, I knew that I hadn't, but it, it felt like, what's the point of watching it? Because I know what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely a, a different experience than what you would kind of be led to believe. Because, like, yeah. I would argue that the first half, half of the movie doesn't even really have that many action sequences in it. Or at least first 30 minutes, anyway. Um, it's uh, a definitely a slow build mm Hmm. Um. So I popped a cookie in my mouth. Got to eat that xenomorph. Uh, Although they don't call them xenomorphs in the first movie. Didn't know that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But there's definitely things like I think we're missing out on seeing it 40 years later. Yeah. Like again, like we already knew a lot of the plot twist, or. We already knew what the alien looked like because it's so part of our culture now, of like you know the xenomorph or whatever. Um, whereas people in the theaters in 1979 would have probably been shitting their pants yeah. at the sight of the xenomorph. You know,
0: um, I guess in a way it was um, about as as big of a venture, so to speak, as like the Tyrannosaurus Rex in in Jurassic Park. Like mm-hmm. this this big creation of this this you know, concept coming to life, um, and I, I feel like the the alien was just as pivotal as as that sort of yeah. work. Um, just based on um, design concept, um, you know, the was it the screenplay writer um, who had seen H.R. Geiger's Necronomicon? the director,
1: director. Uh, Rid- Ridley Scott mm-hmm. saw
0: a copy of H.R. Uh, yeah. Geiger's and, Necronomicon. and was like, "I've I've got to get this guy yeah. to help me design this thing. Like he's yeah. the one." And it's like. Yeah, you know, did it justice. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and we'll definitely be touching on H.R. Geiger um, here in a little bit. Let me just look over my notes real quick. So, Chris, earlier you had said that one of your sort of emotions when watching this movie was frustration, and I think that ties into the big question of this season, which is what makes this a feminist horror
0: movie? Okay. Um, I think... In this movie, um, a lot of the, the horror of it um, stems from Ridley's position as... Ripley. Sorry. Sorry. Rip, Ripley's... It's very hard. It's very yeah. easy to confuse. Yes, yeah, yeah, got it. Um, Ripley's position, where she's kind of this the second in command. She's in command of the ship when the, the captain's out and is completely undermined every step of the way. Um the captain coming back into the the airlock with the face hugger on one of the crew members, um, you know, disobeys a, a, a lawful order from her um, when she says, "No, I can't let you know this extra entity on board the ship mm-hmm. um, when you know we we don't know what it is like." Right. They quarantine procedures. They, they have procedures. to quarantine him. Yeah. And he says, "No, I'm going to do it anyway." And you know, <laughs> let, let me through. And then. I believe it was Ash, right? The science officer.
1: The, the science officer, who turns out to... Yeah, okay.
0: Yep. Um, was the, the one who went ahead and opened the airlock and let them through. Um, again, disobeying her order. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at every stage, people were just, like, ignoring her, what what her decisions would be. Um, her advice. like, And it got them all killed. Yeah, um, true. But <clears throat> at, at the same time, it nearly got her killed. Um, of their stupid decisions, yeah, 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 and you know, I touched on that earlier, where the horror was really in the realism of the frustrations of dealing with these people, because um, mm-hmm. there, there was also the the uh, other female character, um, Lambert, Lambert, yeah, and um, had that written down. She she was not as strong of a character. I believe she was like the the navigator or something like that, um, <clears throat> yeah. But she she kind of fit that. It, it was almost like there was this dichotomy of um, sort of this this expression of femininity, right? Um, so uh, Ripley was was kind of the um, more dynamic leadership type feminine presence, mm-hmm. and Lambert was kind of the more typical His, sort of quote hysterical, hysterical. Woman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like the and but <laughs> the thing is her her hysteria quote unquote in this situation was totally justified. You I know, mean like I would have peed myself. Right. Um <laughs> and so you, you kind of have this and you know, keeping in mind this was forty years ago, um, they kind of it, it's almost as if they saw like, okay, there's these these two sides to the, the feminine and one of them is hysterical. Which is, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but we both like, just rolled our eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I, I think as a um a feminist type horror movie um i i think that it was a pretty strong one especially for for its age Mm -hmm. um you know she she from the very beginning was willing to stand up to these these men even you know her her um captain who wasn't supposed to be in charge when you know and but when he steps out you know she's supposed to be Mm -hmm. and she was still like no you you can't do that right um you know these these are the rules and so um you know she wasn't she wasn't just some like Docile, fawning female, or mm-hmm. anything like that. She was. She was a strong. She character. was strong. Yeah, and uh, she she proved herself throughout the movie to be able to to have that strength. Yeah. Um, but I, I think another thing is that uh, the the xenomorph, in, in a way, um, was was almost this kind of genderless creature as well.
1: Well, I think uh um, Ridley Scott came out. I keep having to pause and remember if I'm saying Ripley or Ridley. Right. Ridley Scott, in an interview, I think in the 2000s, said that the xenomorphs are supposed to have no gender, like okay. individual well, ones anyway. They're, supp- they're supposed to canonically be sort of her- hermaphrodites that, I don't want to say hermaphrodites necessarily, but like there's not, they're supposed to be both or have the ability to shift back and forth, um, which is supposed to sort of, which we'll touch on this a little bit, be part of their subtle horror is that like they are neither. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll we'll touch on that
0: when you finish talking. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think that um, another aspect of this being a horror movie wasn't just the the male characters; it was also the sort of genderless, you know, fluid gender of the of the xenomorph, um, that this creature that was a threat on board and a major major. <laughs> Um, method of killing for it, um, a major thing of its its threat is essentially that it could rape or impregnate people, um, mm-hmm. it, in, including males, right? Right. Um, you know the the face huggers impregnated a male, so to speak, um, and, and had it the, burst I, out I, of his chest. And the thing is, I, and I, I feel like there is some some credence to to that consideration. Of the the threat of this thing is that it can also impregnate males because when it, it could have just as easily have been a scene where the guy coughs, sputters, and then it bursts out of his stomach while he's sitting there, quote unquote, in a dignified manner, or right, a more manly manner. But no, he he kind of like thrashes around, falls back. Flat he looks on like the a table. woman giving birth. He, he looks like a woman giving birth, at least in the traditional sort of like um cesarean type um, or vaginal yeah well yeah. the way
1: american western yeah, worlds exactly. have you give birth anyway and
0: so so you know most people's common perception of birth um and it was very very much like that how it happened with him and um you know that that same <laughs> kind of it was just it was like as bloody it was just like everybody's like oh my god like yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite quite an ordeal and um you know it it that was it. That, that yeah. took his life. Um, yeah. The, the other aspect is that um, the the alien itself um, kind of was it, it had these these elements of the masculine, right? Um, the from the the thrusting yeah the jaw. thrusting jaw protrusion thing very
1: penile. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and not to mention the the shape of the skull was very. And things well, and like if you that, look at the
1: and... the original art from H.R. Geiger, like the the all the drawings that inspired the Alien, like they are extremely sexual. And I mean, there's a quote, a longer quote that I'll read here in a second. But like, mm-hmm. you should just go look at some of H.R. Geiger's yes. sketches from the Necronomicon, which was his book of drawings published in I think 1977 or 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely, extremely sexual. Like the back of the skull is just a giant fucking dick.
0: Yeah. Like. <laughs> Um, and the interesting is uh, some of those concepts like show the the body like you know giant dick head right mm -hmm. but then it has a very woman feminine hips yeah um, and and then there's some that kind of look like it's right like is inspired by riding a motorcycle like it's it's interesting
1: I didn't see that by the way that particular picture until you were like this reminds me of like riding a motorcycle but like fucking while you're doing it and I was Mm -hmm. like yeah Um, I was actually going to read a quote from one of the articles that I pulled up, because again, I'm a librarian, and so this is what I do. I nerd out. And I eat a cookie in the meantime. (laughs) uh, This article, um, there's actually a few quotes, but this is relevant to what you just said. Um, This article is called, Gender and the Horror Film, Birth, Rape, and Female Sexuality in Ridley Scott's Alien, parentheses, 1979 close parentheses. I love that everything has to like say 1979 because there are so many versions of the movie Mm -hmm. Alien, so many sequels that they have to say like 1979. Anyway, article by Jake uh, Bogira. And the quote that I wanted to pull that was relevant to what Christopher was just saying is, let's see, it's on page, screenshot this time, make it go faster. Ah, here we go. The graphic sequence conceptualizes Cain, who is the man who had the the chestburster, um, as the ultimate form of abjection as his male maternal body lies dead on the table, killed in the alien struggle to be a separate entity. This shatters the dichotomy of male and female as all are female or a womb in the eyes of this extraterrestrial threat. And I think that that's sort of, to men anyway, what can become terrifying is and this, I think, is a subconscious thing. You know, have you ever heard that thing that says like um, w- the reason why men are afraid of gay men hitting on them is because they realize that now they are they can be treated the way they treat women. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is sort of almost sort of the subconscious nod to this, where it's like, what if what if men could be raped and impregnated as easily as they do to women? Mm, yeah. And so it's this fear of like it doesn't matter what gender I am. I am also prey.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that that's just something that for some men, I guess if you're an asshole and you're like, Oh no, what if I'm treated that way now? <laughs> um, that it's, uh, it's definitely, I guess a fear Yeah, for some men. Um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of sexual imagery in this movie. This movie oozes sexual imagery
0: yeah and the, the interesting thing also um, with it being you know a feminist movie um, is also that there's these these elements to it of of motherhood too. Yes. Like that's oh, a, yes that's such a strong oh theme in yes here. and and not not necessarily in the the horror sense just kind of in an overarching um, well the concept the so, AI
1: is named mother
0: yeah um, from from the AI being named mother um, and kind of like offering this sort of um, maternal care of them right like they're all if if the 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 ai is named mother on this ship and they are all inside this ship um for the duration Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like it's they are the ai's children in a way like she she takes care of them Mm -hmm. um and and you see a lot of that that motherhood theme throughout the movie too um you know both on the horror side and in just kind of the the overarching um So there's, you know, the, the androids blood being, being white was an interesting choice Mm -hmm. because it's almost like this, um, special spot between humanity and machine that this AI or this, um, machine resides, um, this, this android, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you know, there's still sort of this, this milk to it. So, um, you know, that, that blood kind of you know evokes some some ideas of that it was very messy some of those <laughs> yes, scenes but. very that was probably honestly the grossest
1: scene was yeah. the death of ash
0: yeah well the, the death and kind of like the, the reanimation the whole, yeah yeah and like Where he's like fighting and stuff too. yeah like, that that was honestly i guess there was a little bit more horror to that than even some of the interactions with the alien of course the alien was just like killing people left and right like, yeah just <laughs> like,
1: absolute murder queen and, yeah um yeah, that's a good point though, but I think it's because we we had thought that Ash well, I knew that Ash was an android, so I think that took away a lot of it for me.
0: Oh I yeah, I did not. You did not but, know that. Yeah, so so during those scenes when, when Ash was just like Throwing uh, uh, Ripley around, I was like, "What? What is going on? Like, I thought she was stronger than this, and like, I was, I was getting angry that like, there was just this guy who was like, "It's <laughs> like Cause he's shorter, he's shorter than her, you yeah, know? and like, he's like the science officer and stuff like that." I was like, "No, <laughs> Ripley's tougher than that." Why is she nerd? not kicking his ass! Like, and then and then it turns out that he's like an android, and like it takes multiple people to like even like slightly over Right? And yeah. Like, oh, and now yeah, and the other thing is like, I I did not like that aspect of it where it took men to save ripley from this this android Mm. um i wasn't a huge fan of that but they also had not established lambert's character as somebody who could have handled it i would have that's a good that's a good point but to handle it on her own but but i do think that the the fact
1: that ripley is the last girl standing
0: though is kind of like oh yeah that's that's definitely like a you know thumbs up for her um,
1: oh and speaking of ripley um we'll go back to the sexual imagery here in a second because like i said there's some quotes that i was going to read about that but um Uh, A couple of interesting things about Ripley that... Well, for one, something we mentioned earlier is that, you know, watching this movie 40 years later, obviously there's things that we already knew about it going in. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, we knew that Ripley was the hero. Right. And that Ripley would be the last person standing, the last standoff against the alien. And um, audiences in 1979 did not know that Ripley was the hero. There was this sort of anticipation that Dallas the ship's captain would be the hero because he was the he was well the captain that's always what happens in space he also core. looked like
0: a standard dude from the 70s 80s so you know um, your average, just your average guy good and old boy he,
1: he dies like 45 minutes into the it's like a two-hour movie i think he dies i think before even the halfway mark mm-hmm. he's gone And um, But the thing is, if you watch it knowing that Ripley is the hero, or if you rewatch it, you know, having realized that after the first watch through, you see that Ripley is the one that's making... Ripley is the better leader, even though she's not the captain. She's the one that's asking the hard questions. She's the one Mm -hmm. that's, as you said, like, telling people, like, you're being a dumbass, don't do this. Like, absolutely not. You know, and so she... She's not the leader, but she is the leader.
0: Like, yeah, like, one of, one of the things that really frustrated me is, um, you know, Dallas was a captain of the ship. And uh, there was, you know, the this, this science officer, um, Ash, and <clears throat> when it came to making a decision about um, something to do with the, the facehugger situation, um, she, she had asked the captain, like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I'm going to leave it to the science officer. And she's like, what? why would you do that? Yeah, like this is a, a decision that affects all of the crew, and he's like, "Well, this is my science officer," and that's always how it goes. And then you kind come, come to find out, you know, he's he's an android, and the, like that's part of why. And the, the the captain already knew that everyone on the team was expendable, and that the science officer as an android was what somehow going to survive this thing. No, there's no yeah. way. But you know, it was it was that android's programmed prerogative to uh, get the xenomorph back to mm-hmm. Earth because reasons. Yeah. <laughs> This is killing machine. That was one of the interesting things: is that the um, uh, xenomorph um, really did not need to kill; they just it was wanted to fu- they just wanted to murder. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know something else about the you know the assumption that the hero will be male, that Dallas would be the hero, or or one of the other male characters, is that sort of echoed in when they pull the facehugger off of Kane. And they start to... They don't really dissect it because obviously it has acid blood, but mm-hmm. they're looking at it, and Ash calls it a he. And the assumption is that... I like that they assumed that a dangerous, hostile creature would be masculine, even though it had just laid eggs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well... It's almost like the, the first... Well,
0: I don't think they knew it laid eggs. It True. Just came from an egg. Well, egg. what I'm saying but is that, that
1: thats the he, he just assumed... Yeah. that a hostile creature would be masculine.
0: Yeah. That that that's absolutely fair to state. Yeah.
1: Um there was all there's also sort of this um this dichotomy between Ripley and the alien that I do feel like from just what I've seen I have not seen all the movies um of sort of the id and the ego between mm-hmm. Ripley and the alien where I mean, Ripley, like you said, is is undermined at every turn. Or yeah. people ha- make these sexist comments to her. Like, There's even a harmless comment very early on where the... Well, what's
0: she, what's she going to do when she comes down here?
1: Yeah, the engineers. Are, yeah, are, the or the
0: repairmen or
1: Yeah, where they're like, what she, yeah, what's she going to do if she comes down here? Like, she doesn't know what she's doing or whatever. Um, but she doesn't really call anybody on it or say mm. anything or, you know, strike out against anybody. And then here comes the alien (laughs) just absolutely murdering everybody and in the ending sequence when she is the one that steps up and well she has to or else she'll die Mm -hmm. destroys the alien she has to put on armor echoing the alien and then the weapon she chooses is a spear gun or or a a harpoon or a a grappling hook something something that it's a weapon that mimics the projectile jaw the prehensile jaw of the alien so it's sort of like she has to it's almost like she has to embrace her masculine rage to survive yeah because otherwise i mean the alien would destroy her yeah so um yeah what do you think of that
0: yeah no I, i think that's those are all um valid points um when you when you were talking about the the face hugger in the room it reminded me of a kind of a frustration i had and like, I don't know if this was intentional movie writing or it was just something kind of kind of uh, odd. But um, <laughs> when when they were in the uh, the room, um, you know, so the like the the face hugger had come off of the guy, and like, or, or just before that, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you don't need to wear your mask," which was a little funny, having come from COVID times. <laughs> like, "Oh, oh yes. yeah, don't worry about it. You can go maskless." Um, but, anyway, um, that just kind of seemed a little irresponsible to me. And then, when they had not known where the face hugger was, like, it was off the guy, right? Um, oh, when they, they left the they door open? They just left the door open. And, and everyone was were watching both... it. And we were like, who's going to close the door? Like, we were not watching the movie so much as, like, who's closing the door? What? Why are they not sealing the room? We, we were, like, room? yelling at They're the looking screen. for it. Yeah. Like, they, And, and uh, like, I guess, you know, <laughs> it reminded us, the way they were looking for this face hugger reminded us of this time that... Um, uh, one of Kirby's like best friends um, oh, God. Had, had ordered <laughs> had ordered a burger from a restaurant and it was taking a really long time. And she asked her server, "Where's where is this? Where where's the burger? Like it's been a long time." And like, don't worry, we don't know where it is but we're looking for it. And she looks around and the staff are like looking under things and like lifting boxes, like looking for this burger. Lifting she's up like, tables to yeah, like look under them. Like, yeah, checking under the tables. And, and she so was like, like what? what is happening? But anyway, that's, that's, yeah, that's what it reminded me of so
1: much. Because we were like, close the door. What are you doing? Like, why are you looking for it so strangely? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's uh, that was definitely a thing. So back to what we were saying earlier about lots of sexual imagery everywhere. Um, so one thing that I did not catch until I was, again, reading some articles about this. And this is an, a detail that I think you'll find interesting, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that same article that I mentioned earlier, Gender in the Horror Film, Birth, Rape, and Female Sexuality in Ridley Scott's Alien, 1979. Um, so I found, even when I watched it, I found the scene where the android ash is trying to kill ripley with a rolled up newspaper or a rolled up magazine
0: yeah that was so weird because it
1: felt like the tube from the alien right yeah it
0: felt it felt like almost like like he was trying to like face hug her with it so here's
1: a detail that i realized from this article that i was like holy shit it's a playboy magazine
0: oh trying to trying to force this sort of like sexuality. this is the male concept of sexuality for females swallow this yes like yeah eat it yeah literally eat it like what yeah okay
1: okay very that very obviously had, intentional yeah
0: very intentional like i if if i had actually seen what was on that magazine i would have been like oh well no duh
1: yeah um there's also the fact that and this is something to speak of again ripley being a feminist hero is that um she there is no romantic interest for her at yeah. all there's not even an inkling of one. Like she hasn't. She's just like I'm here to do a job.
0: Did did this movie pass the Bechdel test?
1: I don't know, actually. And I'd really have to go back and off, honestly look. Yeah, at Yeah, like
0: I, I wasn't thinking about that when I was watching it, but I'm curious now because you know this was this was quite a while ago. It There's does pa- it of... does
1: pass. For those that don't know, the Bechdel test is a test of in movies where uh, two female characters have to speak to one another and not about a man. Yeah. Probably, honestly, like her like and, her and,
0: and uh, when they were Langer.
1: navigating the star system. Hmm. So I think it does pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, I it, think, definitely, I think passes, that, it that definitely passes. It definitely passes the sexy lamp test. It does. Which is, uh, you know, can you take a female character, replace it with a sexy lamp? And would anything change?
0: Yeah,
1: uh, a lot hmm. would change if Ripley wasn't there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody'd be dead. But there would be a sexy lamp on board a space station that has a murder alien.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um so let's see. Speaking of sexy times, so there's this article <laughs> There's this article called uh Alien as an Abortion Parable by John L. Cobbs. But Interesting. By, okay. But by the way, the article barely talks about abortion. So like I don't really get the title, but like whatever. All right. <laughs> it has some really good points. Um so there is this there's this kind of long paragraph that I want to read that is about H this is mostly about H. R. Geiger's work, is okay. why I wanted to read it. So um this is from the Geiger counter. Yeah, this is from uh Alien as an Abortion Parable by John O'Cobbs. Uh it says, quote, The violation of the female is particularly evident in Geiger's work. Women, or at least part women, are locked into complex machines replete with tubes, wires, chains, and straps, splayed and pinned, often with legs and arms vulnerably spread, the female body is both a target and a fountainhead for sexual motion. Geiger's female figures are either penetrated at every orifice or expelling fetal or phallic forms and obscene birth parodies from groin and mouth. Um, the artist speaks of his own birth trauma, nightmarish dreams in which he, fi- he found himself horrifyingly enclosed in tubes and passages, and the result is a sequence of birth paintings guaranteed to turn the stomach. Huh. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: just a quick aside... When they were on the alien like ship or whatever came, whatever had the distress signal, I don't mm-hmm. know if that was like a xenomorph hive or home or whatever. Anyway, oh, that ship had a very organic feel to it. When yes. they were traveling through some of the chambers, it felt almost like um, the walls were like these ribs that they were like almost yes. like moving down the esophagus of this thing. Mm-hmm. And in some places they actually literally were like dropping down um, a, a pipe that almost felt like a throat or something. Um, and there was this like large chamber where all these eggs were, mm-hmm. um, and again, it, it had a very organic life like feel, but also so, strangely cold but, and mechanical oh, at the absolutely. same time. And it was so it was really dark, and mm-hmm. you remember the, the science officer said described the outside as having this deep, deep cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they left the warmth of this ship mother ship mother, right? mother to step yeah. out into this cold, and you know it kind of again mimics that. Um, um mother motherhood parable right like right. leaving leaving the womb and entering this this cold world and then definitely it's all violence out there yeah right? dangerous like
1: really, yeah um continue on. Uh, there's actually a further quote this is a if, this is later in the article again this is from alien as an abortion parable it says um the the spaceship which is by the way called the nostromo which is from a um
0: joseph uh, conrad right?
1: J- yes joseph conrad's story um, which really the only connection there is that they were smuggling silver or something,
0: and they were... Well, know. I mean, I think there was a little bit more value in the connection there. Um, Nostromo was this this character who was um, kind of used by the elites, but yes. never yes. reached the elite status. Like, went yeah. through all these grandiose efforts, this whole, like, war in, like, South America or something, and um, never really achieved the sort of, like, fame and notoriety that any of these elites had that yeah. were, like, using him. And so he, he grew... Resentful and which you know, could either be sort
1: of Ripley thing. or it could be any of the crew members because oh, this, yeah. is, this is something we'll touch on after I read this quote. Um, there's definitely a very blue collar-ness yeah. to the crew, yes, because they were, you know, talking about the money and like getting their bonuses and things. Anyway, so um, this quote says, The intricate design of the spaceship Nostromo. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this because it's quite long, but um, uh, the interiors of both the Nostromo and the derelict spacecraft on which the alien egg is found are a complex are a complex of pipes tubes and ducts yes. that leave the casual viewer with a sense of disquieting familiarity yes um only after we watch this do we realize that the dominant motif of both these crabs is the interior of the human body the windings and curvings of organs and glands yep. alien she- achieves a strange balance between the cold steely word of te- world of technology and forms constantly evocative of flesh erotic erotic flesh in particular um, a vaginal doorways cervical mazes on the wall phallic sculptures on the alien st- starships and bulbous memory projections everywhere virtually every scene works itself out from within That's... a matrix of sexual suggestiveness
0: that is a good point because I was noticing some interesting um, forms on the you know the ship mother Nostromo mm-hmm. um, where there were these like obviously on uh, a ship in space you know you pick it. You pick an axis. It doesn't really matter. You can't mm-hmm. really say top and bottom. Um, but anyway, from from some of the, from the cin- cinematography, the bottom of the ship um, had these like you know kind of hemispheres underneath it that were you know it was kind of like mammaries right, but right. it was like you know multiple like rows of them and things like that. So um, it was kind of the the positioning with it being like sort of the belly of it right um, it was kind of animalistic in nature, like you know like four legged mammalian. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know a bit a bit like you know dog teats or something like that So, (laughs) but um you know again it was was almost like um reminiscent of the sorts of creatures that actually when they have births it tends to be quite a number of of creatures um so I, i guess that that was kind of supposed to be sort of the concept for the the mothership is you know it doesn't just give live birth to like one or two or three or something like that it's it's quite a few um, mm-hmm. but it, I think that it was kind of interesting that they there was a crew of seven on the Stromo. We, for we such commented a on massive that. Yeah. Huge ship. Huge ship. Yeah. And there was just you know, there was just the seven of them. Um but um anyway, was there some more you wanted to talk about on the, the Geiger Geigerness and, um, and such? I
1: think that was it for the Geiger stuff. I mean honestly there's the interior a- of
0: that alien ship was very Geiger feeling.
1: Yes. Um I mean honestly like we could sit here and honestly talk about like hr geiger's designs and like the analysis of like the how weird and sexual the alien is mm-hmm. for an hour like honestly yeah, like we really we, we don't really have the time to do that because we do want to keep these podcasts to preferably under an hour Yeah. um but what we did want to talk about was um there was sort of this again like this blue collarness to the crew yeah. uh-huh. and i think that It felt like, it felt like very much like an attempt was made um, to sort of make the, because it's clearly intended to be a feminist film, like, especially for the 70s, um, for the protagonist, especially with the sort of intentional, um, what's it called, bait and switch of the protagonist of like, oh, here's this male character. Guess what? He's not the hero. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Guess
0: what? He's dead.
1: Yeah. Um, And... It felt like there was there was an attempt to make things sort of have this intersectional feminism of like, uh, you know, here are these people that are lower class and they need money. And Chris is pouring milk right now, which looks very much like android blood.
0: I am going to have my android blood. Can I have a sip of that android blood? Go ahead. I'm going to sip of this um, android blood.
1: <laughs> so as I was saying, the um, they're very concerned with their pay. Like, it's very blue collar. And especially when you find out that the that the sort of plot twist is that the computer and therefore the company knew that the alien was hostile and intentionally wanted them to go find the alien and um, to bring it home to be like a weapon.
0: And the crew was completely expendable in all this.
1: Yes, which feels very capitalist. Yes. Where they, you know, I don't care who it kills, we just need this thing. Um, and I found it very interesting, though, that the character that they continually had bringing up the um, the money, it was uh, let me see, I wrote down the names. Oops, um, Parker and Brett. Yes, Brett. <clears throat> and Parker was, I believe, the uh, was the black character.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Brett I mean, was kind of the the older guy that was like, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Um,
1: they. And it was interesting that they had the black character be the one that was always asking about the money. Mm. And so it almost to me was because they were saying it never really 100 percent explained it or at least I didn't catch it of why the others were getting more money than them. Something about that they were a lower rank or something. Mm. And so it was sort of evocative of like just lower caste, like lower Mm. uh, social standing. And it was interesting to me to sort of, because to me that was saying that even in the future that uh, they would view the African-American as the one that's like the lower socioeconomic, you know, and it, that felt a little shitty, shitty, shitty of a take, yeah. I guess.
0: Um, and Brett, Brett was kind of an older character too. Yes. So it's kind of like people of color and, and older folks are kind right. of like, you know, second class citizens in these yes. societal structures.
1: Yeah. So it felt I understood the capitalist themes, you know, with with mother and saying the ship the the crew is expendable. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't really I didn't I didn't like that they had it be the black character that was asking about the money because obviously yeah. that means that they're if he's the one asking about the money, he's the one that's hurting for it the most and he's the one that isn't going to be paid as much as the others, you know. And I know that in the movie it was explained as rank, but like still that connection is there, mm-hmm. you know. So apparently when this movie came out, a lot of people complained about Ripley saving the cat. What? Yes. Why? Because they felt like it jo- was... Jones was
0: like curiosity, you
1: know? Like... <laughs> curiosity, killing everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, because they felt like Ripley was supposed to be this like badass that like didn't care about anybody. And that no. they thought that it was dumb to go after the cat. So here's my counterpoint to that. I don't think Ripley, and again, I have not watched the other movies where she's, I think, more of, like, an action hero type or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ripley, at least in the first movie, is supposed to represent, like, badassery, like, yeah, cold. Not like, like, this
0: weird, like, machismo or whatever. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that she's supposed to represent humanity genderless. Okay. And this is just me talking. I don't have a quote to back this up. Um... I think the reason why there's such a big deal placed on Ripley saving the cat is because I think that she displays what the other crew members don't necessarily. And it's not bravery, it's humanity. Yeah. And I think in her saving the cat, she's showing that she can put on a suit and fight, you know, this weird acid blood alien but at the end of the day, she's still going to go scoop a cat, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think that is, is a major point of this movie is that, um, you know, you've got this this character who, who represents humanity, like the right. good qualities of humanity right. when she reaches her, her higher version of self, mm-hmm. um, and that it's humanity that can sort of defeat this, like, you know, the, the masculine expressions of pure, like, aggression and violence. Um, you know it's this this wholesome por- portion of humanity that that embraces like their their feminine traits along with their masculine traits in a you know solid balance mm-hmm. that wins out over sort of this um civilization that represents a society completely like bathed in the blood of its own masculine violence and right. like you know that that is their their whole existence um and so you know that that act of saving the cat also you know you could you could look at some some things like um you know schrodinger's cat as well um mm-hmm. because you know it's this like sort of cat in the box you know you you don't know whether it's going to be alive or dead well when there you is open that scene where the them. alien
1: like leans down and peers at it and you later yeah. you were
0: like is the cat okay <laughs> yeah yeah like and, and I, I think there i think that, that was just kind of like a little nod in that direction like oh, they okay. were trying to make a, a I, I don't think there was trying to be like some grandiose statement out of it or anything like that but it was interesting that they had a cat on board for this crew of seven you know yeah. they, they didn't really talk about it a whole lot like whose cat it was it was just jones jonesy the cat on on this ship right <laughs> and um and so uh this this act of also you know cats cats can represent curiosity you know multiple lives you know um so so there's also this kind of representation of like rebirth renewal if you look at the the multiple lives thing mm-hmm. um, curiosity is a very very human trait too i mean a lot of Creatures have it, um, have curiosity as well, but we, we think of humans as the most curious, right? That's true. And so, um, ha- saving the cat just before defeating the alien, um, definitely had paid homage to here's here's some of the qualities of humanity, yeah. all rolled into a very, very quick set of scenes, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think that discounting the cat um as a mechanism of telling this story is is the wrong answer sort of and missing
1: think, the point yeah they're missing, missing the missing the point of ripley um, people are like
0: oh why'd she save the cat it's like well because you're stupid and you shouldn't you shouldn't be considered you know part of this humanity worth <laughs> saving we'll save the cat instead of you so we'll just yeah. keep that in mind <laughs> and i mean there
1: was, there was also sort of the um uh when she's trying to get the alien like knock it out of the airlock or whatever at the very end how she's nervously singing to herself to yeah, that's to comfort right. herself. And th- you know, it felt very like both very human, but also, and th- this may come, I don't want to say this may come across sexist, but this may come across as sexist. It almost felt like a very feminine type of fear because mm-hmm. it wasn't like, it wasn't stoic necessarily. And it no. wasn't um, anger. I, I say feminine versus masculine as far as like sort of the, um, stereotypical, stereotypical throats, societal yeah. versions of them
0: yes. but
1: it felt like a very nervous feminine way of coping which was singing to yourself well,
0: it, not only that it, it was kind of reminiscent of like a lullaby yes you know? yes like some, something too soothe.
1: oh very maternal
0: yeah, exactly. Oh, that was actually a point. Uh, remember we talked about well, well, inside this suit that was protecting her, she was still like, okay, you know, I'm, you know, there's still this femininity to me. Yeah,
1: um, there was uh the point that we made up or the we made up. <laughs> yeah, we made it up. Well, <laughs> the point that... <laughs> this isn't real,
0: but <laughs> <laughs>
1: the point that we talked about earlier, which was it was interesting that we had both we we have these notebooks that we use to like make notes whenever we're watching movies together, um, and we had both written down that it was interesting that they are, when they received a distress signal and they said, no, you're contractually obligated to go seek out a distress signal that we both noted that almost felt like the expectation of maternalism upon women. Yes. Where you, if you're a woman, you're expected to be maternal no matter what, no matter if you don't want children, no matter if you are, you know, uh, technically not a woman, if you're non-binary or trans or what have you, you are still expected to, if you have the biological parts, you have to be a woman, yep. and or, it's not, not that you have to be a woman. You have to be a mother, yep. according to society, and that felt very much like if somebody calls out for help, you have to help. Yeah. Like you have to show uh, this maternal protection towards all things. Yeah, it,
0: it felt a lot like just imagine this like workplace scenario where you know um, there's you're either you're the wo- the woman in the office or um, there's someone else who's a woman in the office. And a kid comes crying into the office building. All the, all the like usual guys, the, the males, will be like, well, aren't you gonna help that kid?
1: Exactly. Like, they, and they're and like, it's
0: like, It's almost like the cr- thought does not even cross their minds that they even are equipped to help. They don't even question it. They don't really understand the situation. They're like, Oh, kid needs help. That's, that's her job. That's what she does.
1: Yeah, because they're like, it's Well, like, you're a girl. Yeah, so. it's, it's
0: like a given. Um, and it, fe- it felt a lot like that. Like, you know, this mothership is expected. No matter what, drop everything and help when someone says help. Um, yeah. So it definitely, absolutely felt felt like that, you know, well, you're supposed to be, you know, nurturing. You, yeah, you that, have to be nurturing. That's nurtured. a good
1: word. You have to be nurturing. You have to be. Um, but, yeah, so um, we're coming up on... I don't know how much it will be once we cut out all the things of like cats jumping up and down on our laps. Um, We do have two cats that love us very much. Um, But honestly, I have so many more notes, but like, I think that we're, we're probably around 45 minutes at this point. So we should probably start to wind down. Mm -hmm. Um, As we mentioned on our previous podcast, uh, we like to give, we like to rank these movies out of a baker's dozen, which is 13 and i think this movie i think i'll give it an 11 out of 13 i do think i'm giving it some points more than what i actually enjoyed it at which i probably enjoyed it honestly at like a 7 out of 13 yeah but a lot of it had to do again with the fact that like i had already seen a lot of the movie without even having seen the movie mm and so, and also getting points because of the fact that it was forty years ago, and yes. there were some special effects things. Like you remember when the, the alien when it burst out of the guy's chest mm-hmm. and it like ran across the table. Yeah,
0: that actually made me laugh. It, a it bit. made both of us laugh. It, like it reminded me so. Okay, honestly, the movie Spaceballs replicates this scene because yes. of course it would. Yeah, and um, in the Spaceballs one, it, it it almost felt like they were making fun of how poorly it was animated when it was moving across the table yes because they put it on a literal track because they're like yes. this is obviously what they did and it's funny to us and so i i half laughed during that but i was also curious to see where it was going because you know it was an intense scene yeah but, yeah anyway but so i we you kind of have to give
1: extra points again because yeah. because of things like that because we, we've not only seen those scenes before we've seen parodies of them yes, we have. um so again uh, but anyway so i think our final score is 11 out of 13 cookies yeah
0: i i think i think i might give it like 10 out of 13 just because like you know i i still enjoyed it but i, I want to give a little bit of headroom for mm-hmm. the other alien movies which may have more horror elements or right. may may develop some of these topics a little further yeah. so I, I think i think i give it a, a 10 out of 13 okay
1: yeah Um, But it was, I mean, obviously we highly, I was going to say we highly recommend it, but honestly don't listen to us. It's just, it's a classic. Like it it is a, it is a- Enjoy it or not,
0: it was pivotal. It
1: was (laughs) a very, it was a pivotal moment in science fiction and a pivotal moment in horror. Um, And I can definitely see why Ripley is like sort of this icon of feminist horror. Um, So again, like this almost feels like we're not talking enough about this, but like this is going longer than our last podcast. Oh wow! Yeah. Um,
0: God, I, I still have some more notes I wanted to talk about. Like, um, just just to hit on it real quick. Yeah, just just um, slam us, just <laughs> slam it real quick. Yeah, yeah, like. Uh, so there's the the part where brett was like looking for the alien because you know of course they're all just gonna like split up and not communicate and yeah not stay together and jesus christ what a problem but uh, anyway uh so he enters this like large chamber room where there's almost like this like beaming light from the top but there's also these random chains hanging from it like Mm -hmm. what kind of room even was that bondage um and you know it's it was this weird sort of like allegory of the cave in a way like there's this light on the other side but you're only seeing like this one piece and i I feel like there were some statements being made with all that but but this ship's so huge they could do anything with these rooms i'm like who the who knows what these things are for but there's these random chains so you know there's this this impression of being prisoners in inside this place okay but you know, at the same time, you know, this this they're after the creature, but it's after them too. Right. And so like who like no one's chained in the scenario, but you see these chains here, so who's really the prisoner here? It's not the alien. Um and you know, there was there was also um this kind of longer scene in that room where there's water like condensation. Dripping. Oh, it was yes, like rain. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. And um, you know, This rain's kind of coming from this this spot in the ceiling where the light's coming down. And it's kind of like, you know, water is sort of usually like truth or something. And so it was like, it's like he was like letting the truth hit him, right? This this water, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, But he never looked straight up. He, he put on his cap, and he closed his eyes, and he let it run across his face. It felt like and,
1: it, it went on long enough that you were like, this means something, but yeah, I don't know what. And,
0: and, and I still don't really know quite what I think they were trying to do there, but it was really interesting to me because they, they did linger. Um, but I, there was also this part of me that, as a movie watcher, um, I was half expecting, because, okay, by this point, they had already established that the alien leaves behind, like, a goo. Um, you know, there's this, this like saliva or, or, you know, goop from it. And I was half expecting that this water would become a goopy solution. And he ran his hands across his face and I was expecting the texture to to change. Yes. And this, or this alien to have been like salivating over top of him or something. Um, but it didn't do any of that. And then he moves from that situation to looking for the cat who then notices the creature behind him and then he gets killed. And so there was this long scene that just felt a little bit like, I don't know, like I didn't quite get it. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm curious. How, I, I might want to look into that one a little bit more, but I, I wanted to bring that up because that was interesting.
1: <laughs> kind of like a little t- uh, tent pole to be like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And again, like it, it was a scene that normally you would just kind of think of it as like a throwaway scene of kind of the beat before the. Um, arrival of the alien to be like well i think when he walked into the room and it sort of did a slow pan to show how huge the the room was i think i had leaned over and commented to you like looks like somebody's getting murdered you know (laughs) um like this was obviously going to be a guy getting killed off but the scene with the water again like it you may just sort of throw it away as like a the beat before the jump scare or something but it went on for so long that it felt like this is this means something or this is doing something else that i'm not aware of yeah um, but, uh, I feel like there was one more p- small point that I was going to make that yeah. I had in my notes that I was like, that was an interesting point.
0: Yeah. I think the um, chains thing with that room would probably make more sense if I was a little more familiar with some of Geiger's work. It was probably an homage to some of that stuff, but anyhow. Oh,
1: I, oh God, <laughs> this may take long. It won't, won't take long, but like, it's a, it's a point that I think you'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, earlier we talked about Lambert is the hysterical one, the Mm -hmm. hysterical woman. However, Lambert raises the same points that Ripley does. Yeah. But in a different way. Mm -hmm. So Lambert is, is right in what she says, but because she does it in a very like, sobbing, panicking way, nobody listens to her. Yeah. But nobody also listens to Ripley. Yeah. So it's it's almost showing it was,
0: that... It was showing that whole can't win. Yes. Like, damned it, if you do, damned if you don't. Well,
1: it was showing that, like, if you're a woman, no matter how you present the information, the men are, aren't going to listen to you. Because, yeah. like, you know, there's kind of this... Yeah. this some guys will be like, uh, well, you know, if you, if you don't be over-emotional, then, you know, you could whatever, you know. We, we're rolling our eyes again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... Ripley is never quote over emotional. She's mm-hmm. always level headed and cool and confident, and um, uh, very androgynous in her presentation too.
0: Um, I think the only time she was not cool and level headed was actually during the self destruct scene when she was like, "Well, bitch!" Yeah, about the computer like continuing the shot... or comp- continuing. The but I mean,
1: who broadcast. wouldn't? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but I wanted to point that out that it, I I don't think Lambert was necessarily. Um, completely helpless because right. again she made the same points that ripley mm-hmm. did like when they're going out to the structure the the alien ship she's the one that keeps saying we should turn back this doesn't feel right so she has almost a, she has almost this feminine intuition yes
0: intuition was a, a good word that was, that, I was gonna
1: say. that the that the uh, that ripley shares but ripley does it from a more logical standpoint like ripley's the one that deciphers the message and says hang on, I think this is a warning. I don't think it's an SOS sign. But again, nobody listens to her. Yeah. Even when she backs it up with data and facts and logic, the men don't listen to the women. Yeah. So yep. uh, Alien, a horror of men not listening to women.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the breakdowns of communication were like huge in this. You yes. know? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> um,
1: <clears throat> also, if any of you think that we are <laughs> making leaps with some of our assumptions of how much sex and birth things were in this. Uh, the attachment that takes the ship from the main ship to the planet is called the umbilicus. Yep. So it was very yeah. intentional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, at the very end, oh, at the beginning, the humans are laying in their little egg pods. Yep.
0: Yeah. The, the cryo chambers yeah. look look a lot like eggs. And
1: then at the end, Ripley lays down in her little egg and goes to sleep mm-hmm. just as the alien was asleep in an egg when we first saw the alien.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, again, like, we honestly, like, we, we've both almost kind of been desperately going over our notes being like, you know, what do we have time to talk about? Because there's, again, there's so much you could talk about with this movie. Yeah. And I mean, we haven't even, we didn't even dis- we barely touched on the concept of capitalism in this movie I yeah. mean, we, we only talked about it in regards to again because this this season is supposed to be about feminism about the th- there seemed to be an attempt with intersectionality that didn't really work for me anyway um but there's there, there's i'm flipping through my notes right now like there's so much we could talk about that we don't yeah. really have time for <laughs> um so chris any
0: closing thoughts um aliens they're dangerous <laughs> They're also us. Hmm.
1: What? <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, like I, I'd be, I'd really like to watch some of the other Alien movies, just kind of see how they, they develop what they've put oh, yes. down here. Um. So I, I I think I may be you know enjoying some of the uh, the other movies in the uh, yes. Xenomorph universe. Yeah. You
1: know? Who maybe knows? Maybe we'll have a whole season that's just about Alien. Uh oh. Oh no! My goodness. <laughs> uh, we are open to suggestions, by the way. So next week. We will be watching because this week's movie. I'm, I tried to structure this out so that we sort of went back and forth between uh, serious campy or, sure, or yep. old and new. Um, mm-hmm. But next week, we will be watching Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's <laughs> Body. And thank you all for listening, especially if you stuck around for this long because this episode is a little bit longer than last time, I know. Um, But we had an amazing time. We're having an amazing time watching these movies and taking notes and sharing them with all of you. And it's just been it's been pretty fun so far. It's been
0: fun. It's been real. And it's been real fun.
1: And these cookies have been real delicious.
0: Oh, yeah. I love (laughs) that acid blood.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Good night, cookie. Good
0: night, cookie.